And welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of the modern scene. Uh, hear news, reviews, and discussion here, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred. Uh, it's always a great pleasure to stumble upon something original going on in the audio drama realm, uh, since in my opinion, too much of what's out there takes the form of retellings or reimaginations of the classics, you know, Sherlock Holmes, Monkey's Paws, uh, Poe stories. It's all great, and uh, a lot of it's produced really, really well, but I just love hearing modern stories told through the medium to... Uh, proving to naysayers that this is a living, vital art relevant to modern audiences. Um, our piece today fits that bill, uh, even more unique that it was produced originally and intended for uh, the podcast market, so it's pretty unique that you'll be hearing it on the radio waves, um, internet listeners uh, uh, excluded, I guess. Uh, T. Morris, the writer of the story, has a lot of work out there. Uh, Sleep at the Wheel, uh, The Legend of Mercury, uh, Bilba Batting Stories, um, all been finalists for a variety of science fiction awards, and uh, this tale, Reality Check, is thoroughly modern. Uh, without spoiling too much of the story, it's kind of a reality show, meets uh, the ring, um, you know, conventions of modern horror and uh, modern television making here, uh, also told through audio. So uh, be warned, it's a little scary. Uh, content itself isn't objectionable. Uh, enjoy. It starts with a uh, interview by, uh, of the author. Hi, I'm T. Morris. I'm the author of Reality Check, and this short story has got some history behind it. Um, I guess the best way to talk about it is to go at the beginning. That's the best way to start any story, I suppose. So for me, short stories are a real challenge. And uh, that was the first thing I wanted to uh, see if I could get back into was writing short stories again. And so I, I sat down and wrote Reality Check. Second reason I uh, that this was a challenge for me was I had never written horror. When I... Uh, write. I try to write dark, but, but sometimes writing dark is very difficult for me. It doesn't come naturally to me as like, say, oh, Scott Sigler or JC Hutchins or my friend Tony. Um, I really have to struggle to go dark. And when it comes to writing horror, one of the other challenges is taking a normal situation and having something go horribly, horribly wrong. And that's usually where the horror comes from. And if it isn't horror, it's mystery. And to me, Horror is a mystery just on steroids. The The hardest part about writing horror, though, is it's like writing comedy. One person will think Airplane is one of the funniest movies ever made, and someone else will think it's one of the most asinine movies ever made. And then these same two people will see another movie like Being There, and one person will say it is a um, brilliant piece of comedy work, and the other person will say, well... I didn't laugh, so it's not really that funny of a movie. Horror is the same way. I mean, look at the Blair Witch Project. There were people that believed the Blair Witch Project was one of the most frightening movies ever made. And there are other people like me who think that the Blair Witch Project was one of the most overhyped movies ever made. Uh, same thing with Alien and Predator. And a lot of these classic horror movies, some of which do stand this test of time and some of them don't, to me, that is the hardest part of horror. How do I scare somebody? And how do I find something that I think would scare me? So with Reality Check, I had to ask myself, well, well, what would be something I'd like to see? What would be something that would be a lot of fun to <clears throat> have happen? And around that time, I was watching the MTV reality show Fear. It was one of the few reality shows that was on the air at that time that held my attention. Now, you'll hear me say that I'm not a big fan of reality TV shows. But then I look at what I watch and <laughs> I tend to find myself now gravitating towards, I guess, what you would call entertainment 
reality TV. Stuff like Man vs. Wild, Mythbusters, Dirty Jobs, the stuff you find on the Discovery Channel and National Geographic. But fear was the first one that actually put people into really extreme situations, um, a la Survivor or The Apprentice. And I actually said, you know, I could watch this. And as I was watching this episode of Fear, I thought to myself, what would happen if something went wrong? Would we know if something went wrong? They were dabbling with a lot of freaky stuff and they were playing around with people's heads and obviously playing around with people's phobias. And watching, uh, watching Fear, I thought to myself, well, what would happen if something went wrong? Reality Check was my way of looking at a show like MTV's Fear putting the idea in someone's head, you know, that if something really did go wrong, we would be the last person to know about it. And when I was done with Reality Check, I was exhausted because I had done horror and it, I had to struggle with it. I really did. Now, will, will, I, will I ever try horror again? Well, sure, sure. I'd love to do horror again. I just think that horror is one of the toughest things to do. You'll hear people say, you know, dying is easy, comedy is hard. Well, to me, Dying is easy, but making somebody die in a horrific fashion that makes you go, that's hard. And I'm extremely appreciative that uh, Jack over at Wander Radio took a reading of Reality Check and said, yeah, this is the next thing that I want the Wander Radio players to do. I've been extremely thrilled with what he has done with it. He has taken uh, the creepy factor and, you know, taken it up to 11 it's actually inspiring me to try to come up with something else that I can throw Jack's way. <laughs> so I hope you all have been enjoying the serialized version of Reality Check. And now it is my pleasure to introduce to you the director's cut. Thank you for listening. All right, I'm here. Now what? You will now enter the mirror room and go to radio silence for 30 minutes. I'm going to read you the website stuff. This is the mirror room. When conventional treatments for Woodview were not enough to subdue the more unruly of patients, they would be confined to the mirror room for several days, maybe weeks, depending on the severity of the punishment. The longest sentence held was by Samuel Thompson, a total of three months. Official record states that in this room, designed to induce dizziness and loss of equilibrium, he choked on his own vomit. It is said you can catch the reflection of Samuel Thompson lost in the infinity effect of the room, trying to find his way back to this world. You will use the Ouija board to communicate with the spirit of Samuel Thompson. We will monitor you on the radio and your surveillance equipment but you are not allowed to communicate with us. Breaking radio silence will result in disqualification. Your time begins now. Why the hell am I doing this again? She paused for a moment at the open door of the mirror room. When she hit their website and applied for the open slot, it sounded like something cool to do. She could feel the excitement in the sorority house when Beta Delta's own Gina Sanders would appear on the reality TV show, The Graveyard Shift. She even got the approval from Beta Delta's national office to wear letters on the show. Gina was stoked. A shot on the most watched reality-based television show. A chance to get an adrenaline fix. A safe one too, as she knew nothing could really happen to her. 
And the prize for surviving the weekend? $5,000. Piece of cake, she thought. This could be her nest egg after graduation or that ultimate post-college trip before entering the real world. Five grand for one weekend in an undisclosed location and you get to play with ultra-cool techno toys. It was easy money. A no-brainer, just like the show itself. The graveyard shift started with five strangers spending a weekend in a place they have no prior knowledge of its location or history. Except for one thing. It is classified as haunted by world-renowned parapsychologists and legitimate psychics. It was a no-brainer, or so she thought. Gina had already made a complete ass of herself on the first challenge when she and her guardian angel ventured out to the hospital's morgue. She remembered screaming at the top of her lungs with one of those classic horror movie screams. Why did Gina scream? She felt a cobweb tickle the top of her hand when a breeze passed through the abandoned room. That was when she lost her cool and totally wigged out. Her guardian angel, Stan, had to shout over her decibel-shattering scream. Of course, it was all caught on camera. From Stan's angle, from her angle, and from the night vision cameras located throughout the hospital. Gina was ready to go home then, but she sucked it up and dealt with looking like a freak on primetime TV. That was the catch of the graveyard shift. Fail to fulfill a dare, and you are disqualified. Now, Jack was her guardian angel, promising to wait outside in the cold out front of the mirror room while she fulfilled this particular dare. Gina gave a half-hearted smile and entered the dilapidated shack with mirrors on the inside of the door, across the floor, and covering the walls, a recessed light in the center of the ceiling mirror, her only source of illumination. When Jack closed the door, Gina realized there was just enough room for her to sit cross-legged and for the Ouija board in front of her. And remember, this is just a game, just a weird game for weird kids. Where she was currently spending the weekend did not help dispel the Ouija board's bad reputation. The Woodview Institute for Mental Research provided miracle cures for insanity before the days of chemical prescriptions, lobotomies, and electroshock therapy. Patients would either come out rehabilitated or would die in the institute due to complications of their illnesses. At least that was the, what the records showed. Woodview remained extremely tight-lipped on the radical new approaches to mental health. In the late 50s, a small team of four investigators, one posing as a doctor, two posing as orderlies, and one posing as a patient infiltrated Woodview to find out more about their amazing success rate. The investigator posing as a patient never made it out of Woodview alive. One of the orderly impersonators, traumatized by what he saw, was still undergoing therapy to this day. The remaining orderly and the fake doctor continued to tell their story several times over through books, documentaries, and now in the narrated segments of the graveyard shift. Woodview, these two investigators discovered, was a real-life chamber of horrors. The medical staff administered their alternative treatments through satanic rituals and documented black magic spells. Some rehabilitation involved psychotropic drugs and bizarre optical illusions that would cause seizures and convulsions. 
their theory the unorthodox treatments was fighting fire with fire, pushing a patient so deep into their insanity they would cure themselves. Overnight, the shining ray of hope for the insane became Dr. Frankenstein's laboratory. The institute still stood as a warning to the medical field almost 50 years later. The ground surrounded by a chain-link fence and barbed wire in order to keep out the curious and fans of the occult. Gina thought Woodview reminded her of that freaky movie House on the Haunted Hill. Gina's boyfriend assured her that they had made all that stuff up about human experiments. Hmm. I guess those writers have to get their ideas from somewhere. Gina sat in silence, staring at the Ouija board as the voice of Walter Levinson, the investigator who had posed as an orderly and managed to keep his sanity, recounted on her radio headset his own story behind the mirror room. Well, I recall just stepping inside it to, to clean up the filth left behind by someone who had spent four days in there. I had the door open and I still felt this weird feeling of falling, you know, like vertigo. I couldn't keep my balance. Another time, I was just cleaning the mirrors and got locked in there by accident for 15 minutes. I suffered motion sickness for two days. She hated these segments. They were piped in over the radio and she was not allowed to retort on account of the radio silence. Gina was convinced their sole purpose was to mess with their heads during the dares as opposed to provide background for the dare. I can't imagine anyone spending more than a week in there, let alone a month. How Thompson did it? Personally, I don't think he ever left. There are a lot of cultures that believe it. Cameras steal your soul, you know? What's a camera? But a bunch of mirrors, right? So yeah, I believe Thompson is still in there, somewhere, just looking for a way out. Gina's breath would create a light fog on the mirror immediately opposite of her, but only for an instant. She was a little surprised the remaining mirrors were not completely fogged over from her own body heat. She knew she was sweating underneath all her winter protection. She finally placed the planchette on the center of the Ouija board and rested her fingertips on it. Her memory of wandering back to a night after several rounds of quarters and ping-pong bowling, Gina was convinced her sorority sisters were pushing it around just to mess with her when she was drunk. When she thought about the answers that appeared on the board that night made the hair on her arm stand. Samuel Thompson. Gina's voice echoed slightly against the glass, giving her a moment's pause. While she was supposed to be on radio silence, this was part of the dare and therefore allowed. Gina would have rather stayed quiet. Her voice did not sound right in this place. She shifted nervously in her spot and continued, Samuel, are you here? The planchette remained at the center of the board. Gina could not help but feel that this was a huge mistake. She heard all the urban legends about this thing. This was how Reagan became possessed in The Exorcist. People have died when they played alone, and others vomited live frogs and cockroaches. Then again, it was probably just a lot of superstitious hype, like tarot cards, psychic hotlines, and Miss Cleo. Everyone knows people who have felt the wrath of a Ouija board, but these are probably the same people 
who received friendly warnings via email or had Muslim neighbors suddenly disappear the morning before September 11th. Just a lot of hype. Gina sighed heavily, feeling a little queasy from the infinity effect of the mirrors. Turning off her radio, she huffed in frustration. How long have I been here? The planchette under her fingers moved. Gina froze. Everything inside her clenched. I've been here for five minutes. The planchette moved into a wide circle across the board, and then again a little wider of a circle until ending at... Yes! Samuel Thompson. Repeating its slow encircling of the board's characters, the planchette moved agonizingly until ending at... She was not moving this thing. Okay, this is something of subliminal. I'm doing this. The planchette moved downward for a moment and returned back to... You can read my thoughts? Yes! Gina shook her head, her heart pounding quickly. So you're not Samuel Thompson? Were you a patient here? Yes! What's your name? The planchette circled around the board, passing over the letters... Heather, Heather, you know you're not supposed to be here. Yes! I want to help you. Yes! I want you to let go. Just let yourself find peace. It's all right. The planchette seemed to sit dormant for an eternity until it suddenly moved quickly to... Don't be afraid, Heather. You should embrace the peace of where you are. And where it will lead you. Why? Gina was not going to let this stupid game get the better of her. She knew this had to be rigged. All of their challenges were rigged in some way, shape, or form to mess with their heads. Last night, Jack spent 30 minutes in the rat trap, which was a totally sound and light-deprived room, only the sound of rats above and below him present in the tiny cubicle. What the player, Jack, did not know was there was a thin mesh of cage above and below him. He was never in any danger, but for half an hour, all he heard were the rats. So what if she signed a release as big as a phone book? If anything happened to her, Gina and her folks would sue the pants off the production company. Prize money or no, she was going to come out ahead. You're going to escape through me? Gina scoffed, trying to remember if she mentioned Ouija boards on the questionnaire the show's producers had her fill out. You've been waiting for someone like me to help you escape? Bet you're really pleased with yourself. The planchette moved to the image of the sun in the top right corner of the board, stopping over the smile that the sun made. Heather, you've watched one horror movie too many. Look in the mirror. Gina kept her eyes fixed on the board. She heard that voice. She knew she heard that voice, clear and crisp, as if she heard it spoken right next to her. There was no echo. 
It was in her head. She assured herself it was all in her head. It isn't all in your head. Look in the mirror. Gina defiantly pressed against the planchette and slid it over to... Why not? This is just a game, right? A dare. You knew coming into this room was a stupid thing to do. So come on. The voice was taking great delight in taunting her. This is just a stupid game. A silly dare. Gina straightened up and pushed the planchette to... Yes! And then looked up to the mirror in front of her, her own reflection staring back at her. Her eyes then looked at the other reflections surrounding the single infinite line of Gina's. The unknown reflection had long blonde hair, matted with time and neglect. She was in a hospital smock, soiled with bits of food, human waste, and what looked like dried blood from her fists. Her knuckles had tiny slivers of glass buried in them. As if this girl had been pounding on many panes of glass, looking for a way out. The unknown face was chillingly void of any compassion or remorse for Gina. Heather had been so patient, she had fooled the doctors into thinking she was better. But then, Heather was sent to the mirror room for driving a fork in an orderly's hand. What the doctors did not know was that Samuel Thompson paid close attention to his alternative treatments very close attention. He had found a way to disappear, to hide in the mirrors. There were so many places to hide in there, after all. Infinite. Heather had found her way back. When the show's producers wired this little room for sound and video, the cubicle's open door allowing enough sunlight to enter and provide a beacon. It had been a much longer wait for Heather than it was for Samuel. But wait, she did. Heather waited for a visitor for a question, for an opportunity. Gina learned all this as she looked at the alien reflection moving with her own. She watched herself look down onto the board. The torture girl laughed airily as she moved the planchette to one final message. Gina, 30 minutes have elapsed. Get out of there! And Gina watched herself get up slowly, unsteadily as if she had not done this simple task in a long time open the door to the cell, and step out into the cold Pennsylvania night. And that was Reality Check by science fiction and fantasy horror writer uh, T. Morris, and was originally produced for the podcast Wander Radio, wanderradio.com, which I'd recommend checking out. They've got a couple of other stories on there, as well as some other interesting commentary, great indie music. And next week I'll be chatting with the producer of the podcast, Jack Hosley, a.k.a. The Wander Wolf, and T. Morris, the author of the story you just heard as well. Uh, We'll be chatting about the direct-to-internet audience right in the information age and adapting for the audio form. Make sure you tune in. And also, two weeks from now, we'll be right in the middle of Begathon, which is a really uh, important fundraiser for uh, this station, WMPG, in Portland, Maine. Uh, It's the time when we reach out to you, our listeners, to help keep us on the air. Our goal is to raise $25,000 in this action-packed week, and I hope you'll tune in and contribute, because I'll be having a super special live radio performance, uh, the first of my ever, (laughs) and uh, here in light of it. Um, I'll be offering double CD sets of all of my productions to date for listeners who donate $30 or more. That's almost two hours of listening adventures. Uh, The Blind Man's Confession, Drizzle, Day of the Dead, Tales from Williamsville, Horror, Comedy, Drama, and Myth. 
Uh, so whatever you do, don't miss it. Uh, after all, Rocket from Outer Space might just be landing outside the studio, and who knows what hilarious events and scathing satire will unfold from there. Uh, in the meantime, you can satisfy your cravings for more news and reviews at www.radiodramarevival.com. Contact me at fred at radiodramarevival.com. But read the blog, download the podcast. Until next week, keep your mind and your ears open. Have a good week.